Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 11, Past Tense, Part 1. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and you should find us and follow us because we are awesome, and especially coming up here in the next few weeks as we roll into Thanksgiving, there's going to be a lot of stuff that uh, well, I'm envisioning us doing for um, the YouTube channel, in particular the Fire Caves After Dark stuff, so you will need to tune in in order to see all that fun, so do so, find us, follow us, and then of course, let us know what you think, because we would love to um, hear from you. But as David said, tonight we are talking about Past Tense, Part 1. A great episode that, even in the realm of Deep Space Nine, kind of gets overlooked. But I think that, I kind of feel like we're going to see more things that reference it as we go into New Trek. So we will get to there, of course, as we do our discussion tonight. Um, But before we get to all that, David, how's your week been? It's been good. Uh, Last night, I went to... My brother's house, he is married and has two little girls. I've talked about visiting them before, but visited them again last night. My eldest niece, who's going to turn five here next month, my goodness, uh, she uh, was feeling a little under the weather. And so my brother and his wife play in the church band. They're both guitarists. Uh, he plays uh, guitar, but she plays bass. And so they needed to be at church, but you know, I have a sick one that needs to be taken care of. So I went there after work and... Watched her and spent some time with them today. It was nice to see them again. Uh, other than that, life's going good. How about yourself? Uh, very much the same. Just been really focused on uh, working and taking care of my kid. You know, we now have to do this whole um, getting her to school every day, come hell or high water thing, you know. Um, she's, it's not like she's missed a lot, but she's missed more days of school than I'm comfortable with. Right. And so I'm trying to, you know, maintain a, you know, the, the, the need for her to go. Um, we've gotten into this weird thing where she's, she's, she's very smart and she knows it. And so she's starting to get a little lazy with her schoolwork. Right. So I'm trying to make it like very important that we do, you know, that it's structured and stuff like that, keeping her on the ball. Cause I don't want her to suddenly find herself behind, you know, she tested out in every subject. Um, and I'm so proud of her for it, but yeah. now it's like, now that she knows she's just like, yeah, well maybe I don't have to go <laughs> all this stuff. So yeah. yeah, the, you know, that arrogance of feeling like, you know, everything already yeah. at seven years old. What am I, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know. Get that kid some advanced algebra already. <laughs> right, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I need to sign you up for some, uh, some, you know, calculus classes or something if you think you've got it already. Woo-hoo, yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, other than that, that's it's great. been, 
uh, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm so glad that she's doing well. I really am. Right. But at the same time, I just don't want her to get complacent. Like that's my fear right. for her. My fear right. for her. I want her to do well. Right. Um, other than that, I've been reading like crazy, trying to get through and be done with the first book of the Expanse. I'm almost there. I know that I started this started this on this journey, and you've already like left so far yeah. ahead of me. <laughs> um. But I'm I'm getting there. I'm right. getting there. So uh, you've told me enough about Alisarala that it's it's gotten me interested. Got people. I'm telling you, there is something about that character that I I love. I just can't put it down. Like she is my favorite, oh. my favorite character that I've come across in a long time. And um, especially after watching the show, now I'm reading the books and I'm trying to get to her single greatest motivation to read a story ever is what's going on with me uh, right now i can't wait i can't wait barry <laughs> i'm so mad you're not there yet <laughs> she literally jumps off the page every time she's there she steals the scene every time and again i read her character avasarala in charade disashalu disashalu agdashalu there we Ag-dash-lu. go uh, i read it she, you'll get there she's she's i mean when I, I found out that the uh the this two co-authors the the book is written by James S A Corey, but um it's actually Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank James S A Corey is their pin name together, and they both worked on the show. So there's a lot of things that they were able to benefit from being able to work together on the show. But one of the things is is they were able to find her, and I've said it a million times already now, but she just is exactly like the character in the book, uh, or at least a pretty spot-on uh, interpretation. And uh, I can't help but read her voice every time the character but, comes in. And so, and there's and there's nothing wrong with it. And for those of you who yeah. are familiar familiar with uh, Miss Agdashlu's work, I'm sure that you know what we're talking about in regards to her incredible voice work. She has been featured not just um, obviously in various you know movies and TV shows and things like that, but she's in so many different um, like like animated things and video games and just all kinds of stuff and you'll hear her voice pop up I, the one that I can think of um, she was in the Mass Effect series for um, for a couple of characters and then she was in there was a show on Netflix yeah. that she was recently on that she did Arcane. the voice yeah yes uh, yeah. she was the voice there so I mean those are just two of the more recent ones I'm sure that if you look back she's just she's done so much and whenever she pops up I know that her character has been on um, or her this actress has been on um, shows like ER, uh, NCIS, Bones. Um, these are just regular like TV roles playing different characters and stuff, of course. But she she's quite prolific and she's amazing every time that she's on. It's shocking to me every time I really sit and think about it how she's not a bigger star than she is. She's even in Star Trek. She was an admiral in the most recent Star Trek movie um, with Idris Elba. So yeah, she's an admiral in in the Star Trek verse as well. So she is all over the place. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. I had no idea about that last one. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Well, she, she's fantastic. And as much as I would love to continue to talk about the wonderful Sheree <laughs> Dodgley, we go. are not here. We are not here to talk about her, at least right now. Right. Who knows? She she might get she might get home episode one day. Who knows? But right. we're not here for that tonight. Tonight we're here to talk about 
past tense. So, diving into that episode, uh, do you want me to give the quick summation, or do you want to do it? You do it, man. I think uh, you're uh, you're you're primed for this one. Sounds like you like this episode yeah. a lot. You got this one. Ready. I do. I do like this episode, and it's one that it, it kind of grew on me because I remember when I watched it the first time a long time ago, and I didn't like it, and that's because I'm not really a fan of of time jump episodes. Okay, I, I don't I don't like it. Time travel right. episodes of anything, not right. really a fan. But this one kind of grew on me over time. Right. Um, so yeah, so this episode again, this is part one. Um, as we've said a lot, a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes lend themselves to two-parters, and obviously this one does because it is a two-parter. Um, but yeah, this episode starts us out with uh, Cisco, Dax, and Bashir. Um, everybody is on on the Defiant on their way back to Earth. Those three are to beam down to meet with some admiral for a meeting. But when they go to transport down, instead of actually transporting to San Francisco in the 24th century, they end up in San Francisco in the 21st century. So 300 years before they were supposed to. Right. Now, uh, when they beam down, Bashir and Cisco uh, basically end up next to each other. And Dax is like underground in like this subway tunnel and because of their separation by just a few feet really it leads to a world of complications for our three um, crew members here so Cisco and Bashir are woken up by some security guards who shuffle them into a sanctuary city where they're processed and basically turned loose inside the sanctuary uh, sanctuary district it's called sanctuary city which is what we call the things that we have now um, versus Sanctuary District, which we find out that the Sanctuary District is where people who don't have anything, no no jobs, no money, no nothing, here's an area where they can go, and in theory, all of their needs are going to be provided for them until work comes along for them. Right. Dax, on the other hand, is separated, as I said, and she's discovered by this individual who um, is like a computer programming mogul, and she, using her obviously advanced technical skill and knowledge, she's able to forge some documents for herself that allow her to stay on this kind of nicer side of society. Meanwhile, Cisco and Bashir are in definitely the dregs and they're having to learn to navigate this area and, and basically not get beat up and also not disrupt the timeline while trying to contact Dax and hopefully figure out a way to get home. Right. Um, meanwhile, on the Defiant, O'Brien is aware that something has gone wrong with the transport. There was an energy spike. They're not really sure what it was at first, but they know that the away team did not materialize where they were supposed to. With the help of Kira and Odo as well, they kind of piece together what happened, and we get a very technical, very convoluted reasoning about a micro-singularity that passed through the region that polarized the chroniton particles that were attached to the hull because of the coking device that when they beamed through, the the transporter beam was deflected by the chronotons, so that's what beamed them back in time. So they know that they are in San Francisco, they just don't know when. They start to narrow it down as to when, while all, while everything else is transpiring on the surface, um, Cisco becomes 
more and more concerned about the time. He's aware of the date, and he's a bit of a kind of an amateur historian, so he's aware of kind of the significance of where they are and the time, but it takes him a little bit to put it together, and he realizes that the date given, which was August 30th, 2024, is just a few days before what's known as the Bell Riots. Now, these were riots that happened in the Sanctuary District in which the people kind of took over one of these processing facilities and were leading a revolt against kind of the status quo that they were being forced to live in. Right. Recognizing that this time was now, he and Bashir, he realizes they needed to basically not be a part of anything lest they disrupt the timeline and and prevent the future that they know from occurring. Right. All this seems to be going pretty well for them until one night when they're basically kind of they're drawn into a conflict and they're getting beat up and everything. And then this man comes out and tries to save them. Um, he does save them, but at the cost of his life. And even though Bashir tries to save him, it doesn't work. And Cisco um, realizes who the man is. And it's none other than the infamous Gabriel Bell, the man who is the kind of inspiration for the Bell riots. Now with him dead, this means that the future that they know of is in jeopardy. Right. This then is later confirmed when we see kind of a flashback to the the Defiant in which Odo is, or not Odo, but Chief O'Brien is telling Odo and Kira as he's been attempting to contact various people in Starfleet that none of it's there. No one's answering. The listening posts are gone. There's no admirals. There's no trace of anything Starfleet in the area. So that means they now too know that something has happened. And that's essentially where the episode, no, I'm sorry. Doesn't essentially end there. We get close. Um, The last thing that happens before the episode ends is that a fight breaks out within the district. Cisco runs, Cisco and Bashir run to try to figure out what's going on. And they find out that this man has held up some hostages in one of the processing centers. Right. Cisco stops them from beating up a security guard, brings a security guard inside. And he kind of, institutes situates himself inside this riot and he now assumes the persona of gabriel bell and that's how the episode ends right yeah yeah very very brief summary there well done um yeah the uh i i have to agree with you i'll go ahead and say this now that i am not usually a fan or at the very least i have very high standards for stories that treat time traveling as a a plot device effectively i like to summarize it like this if you go back in time i like the idea of a story where you aren't changing history but you're fulfilling history so the best example i give is actually harry potter the prisoner of azkaban anyone who's ever read that this is spoilers for the the climax of the book and movie but harry potter and hermione go back in time and instead of changing the events that happen it turns out they're the ones who had been affecting things in the in the climax of the story the whole time which which uh, ends with harry potter casting a patronus which the whole book he'd been having trouble do with this spell but because he knows that he's already done it because he's already experienced the events one way and then he comes back around and he realizes that it was him the whole time he does the charm he does the spell and he's successful that's what I like with time travel stories. The idea that, uh, or at the very least, I like those types of stories because it's. I think it's very fascinating, the idea that um, if you went back in time, if you're just fulfilling the very events that you already know are going to happen, 
how does that affect your your understanding of free will, etc. The, uh, the more popular version of storytelling with time travel is probably more understood in the Back to the Future sense, where I was going to say Back to the Future is probably it's the, the more classic. Yeah. yeah, you go back and you're literally changing the events that happen and that affects things. The most, you know, the one scene that's very important uh, is like he has a picture of him and his his brother and his sister, and he's on stage playing the guitar and he's watching as you know events aren't happening right, and so they start to disappear from the picture, and he starts to fade from reality as well. Um, the idea being that because the events are changing, that's affecting the future. But of course, the problem for me is that, well, time is a line. Events are chronological. It doesn't make sense in the true understanding of chronology that an event that's happening in the past would have a result in the future that doesn't quite make... Like, like in this episode, they accidentally are... Their, their presence results in Gabriel Bell's death. But on the Defiant, it's in the middle of the episode at the same time that his death occurs that they suddenly the Federation is not there. It's not yeah. that it not it's not the very event it's not the event of them going to the past that causes the Federation to stop existing. It's that Gabriel Bell in the past not dying too early. So time travel stories yeah. you gotta just kinda go along with it, frankly. It's part of the storytelling. Yeah. They're trying to tell a story. You gotta suck it up. I'm I like yeah. being a, a perfectionist and that's part of the reason why I don't write stories often frankly is because I it's like I can't I want a, a perfect story to just fall out of my head and I know that that's not how storytelling really works a lot of times you gotta you know chisel at it you know it's like you you have a a granite block and you're trying to get mm -hmm. Michelangelo's David out of there but you gotta actually start somewhere and go for it um yeah. I want David to just appear <laughs> you know yeah. uh, it is all his no, glory I but anyway, yeah. I absolutely agree. And I mean, it, it is, it's, if you are a fan of the Marvel movies, of course we see the, the time travel paradox there and they explain time a bit differently as well. You know, right. um, uh, Bruce Banner's trying to break down for people how, you know, even if you go back in time and you do, you do change certain things, you also start all new timelines. Right. And this is kind of where we also saw the beginnings of the multiverse as well that is now be playing out in Marvel as well because right. each of these timelines is its own universe in and of itself right. and how you have to kind of like redirect everything. Uh, right. Using the the Back to the Future um, explanation of time travel, you also have the whole you can change minor things and time will in a to a certain degree will will fix itself you can make minor alterations but time will still then kind of put you back on the right path unless right. you start to make major major changes then things start to diverge and that's when you have alternate timelines i remember that in particular the scene where you know dealing with Biff and how he became ultra rich because that was a major divergence in the timeline right. because of the almanac, you right. know? Um, and then in this episode, I feel like they get it wrong with that moment where um, O'Brien is saying nothing of Starfleet exists except for what's on the defiant at the time. Right. Because, and I really, the reason why I always feel like that was wrong is because what they were trying to establish there was that was the moment that Gabriel Bell died in the past. Right. However, we see in the very next scene that Cisco steps in as Gabriel Bell. Right. So if that happened 300 years in the past, then 
the Federation should have still been there. Yeah, if the idea is... Yeah. Right. Yeah. If the idea is that the importance of the man, you know, it's it's the name, because, I mean, we don't, they don't have a way of verifying it legitimately who Gabriel Bell is. We just know he was a person. So then if Cisco is assuming his identity here in this, in this moment, that because it happened 300 years in the past and assuming that Cisco stepped into the role because he knew of its importance and never would have done anything else to accept the timeline. Right. Everything else should have continued as it was. And there never should have been any kind of indicator to O'Brien and the rest of them that something had occurred and that the Federation wasn't there. So that's always stood out to me as kind of an inaccuracy that they glossed over for the sake of storytelling. Right. You know, it could have been something that maybe would have made more sense either actually the only way it really could have made more sense was if they just didn't have that moment in there at all. Or if maybe they had extended the story and, you know, Cisco had come back to the future and then when Cisco comes back to the future, now there's no Federation. So right. now they have to go back in time again in order for him to assume the role of Gabriel Bell or protect Gabriel Bell from right. dying so that things can continue the way they were supposed to. Right. But since that's not what we see is happening here, to me, there never should have been an interruption of the timeline. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And again, you know, it, it does make some tension. Oh, the Federation's gone. We need to fix time in order. But I, as you just pointed out, if you th- really think out the, the, the implications of the storytelling, it would it, it undermines itself, and that's my problem with that Back to the Future style storytelling. It's fun in the moment if you're just gonna just let yourself enjoy, you know, just enjoy the world, the storytelling. It's fine; it can work. Um, but I like the idea of sticking to a very rigorous process. Yeah. And again, I mean, I'll, I'll just quickly say I liked the movie Tenet that came out in 2020 during the pandemic. And part of that movie was the idea that you can move backward in time. Literally, it takes just as much time to move backward in time as it does forward. So you can have these fight scenes where people are fighting people that are actually technically experiencing the fight backward. They're, they're fighting the backward and car chases are backward. It was a lot of fun. But part of the reason that movie was so fascinating for me is because it had to address the implications of past events affecting future events and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you had to work out all the kinks and there's only like one or two moments where I think the film didn't quite get the kinks worked out, but it's only minor in that sense. So I really love Tenet. I know it wasn't quite the hit. It's Christopher Nolan film. I love Christopher Nolan. It wasn't quite the hit. It's of his other films, partly because of the pandemic, partly because it's Christopher Nolan is known for real cerebral films. And sometimes it's just like this particular one is also like a lot (laughs) to take in. Uh, But yeah. So before I say anything about the episode, that for me is a big thing. Time travel storytelling, if you're going to do it, you have some kind of hurdles to jump with me. But now that I've said my piece, I can move on and it's been addressed. So, yeah. Well, so now let's get into the actual, you know, some of the, the details of the episode here. So, in particular, what we're seeing is that Cisco and Bashir, they're transporting Cisco, Bashir, and Dax. Back in time, it's August 30th, 2024. Two years from now. I know. Okay? And, <laughs> I mean, when this was, when this aired originally back in 94, it would have been 94 that this episode came out. Yeah. I mean, that still wasn't too distant in the future. It's just, you know, again, 25, you know, 30 years. 
you know? Uh-huh. And basically, we're seeing the United States has basically kind of collapsed here. And this idea of needing to separate people out into these districts where they can live versus the rest of society, which we get to see that how the other side lives really, They're you know, Dax. with, yeah. with Dax and, you know, because she is both, she, she's pretty and she clearly has some technical expertise. She's able to maneuver her way through this world. And we kind of see, you know, just kind of the worst of the worst of those people. I mean, you have one guy who is willing to help her out, but he's really helping her out because she's a pretty face. Like let's, let's be honest. Here. Oh yeah. That's, that's why he offered to help her in the first yep. place. She was a, a beautiful woman unconscious in this area, right? right? And that's yep. why he was helping her out. Yeah. And then she's, you know, later on we see her and this guy's Chris uh, Brenner is his name. Yes. And they're at a party and they're surrounded by the most just smug, arrogant, Study. you want to, you just want to slap them. Yeah. Awful people, you right. know. Yeah, I was in Europe and it was like the worst because Europe is collapsing and I you know, I was trying to have a nice vacation, but you know, things were just falling apart and so I just couldn't <laughs> Yeah, that was their conversation. Um Essentially, yeah, that was it. I was just trying to enjoy myself, but these these rioters and these protesters wouldn't go away so that I could enjoy my scenic beach vacation. You yeah. Know? Did they say something about the Alps? Yeah, we were trying to go to the Alps or something. Yeah, they were yeah. trying to go to the yeah, they were trying to visit some preserve in the Alps, but they couldn't because there was what they call them the Neo Trotskys or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a it was an awful throwout. Uh, it's one of those times when it's just like I understand what you're trying to do here with your <laughs> with your dialogue, but it just just say rioters, but yeah. protesters like keep it kind of. There's no need to give like a name like that because now that's kind of lending itself also to an ideology you know you got to know who trotsky is and all that kind of stuff right no need just just say you know rioters um criminals dissidents whatever you want to call them right for the sake of one greater understanding and just also being able to move through the episode a right bit. yeah um but yeah, now the the story about the sanctuary districts, which I always found very interesting, is the fact that this is created by the American government in response to some social and economic problems that uh, the United States is having at the time. Right. And that's what we also see through Cisco and Bashir. These these are people who they have uh, different names for them. They were called the Dims at first, right. for basically dimwits, people who didn't know anything and couldn't do anything, had no particular, seemingly no particular value or skill. And also, as we find out later on, dim is the term they use for people who were also mentally impaired, unstable, and so forth. And then there was the other group, which are called the gimmies. And these were the ones who clearly had, you know, some type of skill set and, and value and use, but they just didn't have jobs right. and they were waiting on jobs. And so the system was more designed to help the gimmies than the dims. Right. Um, but it had fallen so, yeah. apart and yeah. 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 So it was a, a totally unrealized si- uh, system because sanctuary district was supposed to be a place where the, really the gimmies uh-huh. were supposed to be able to go and find housing, food, and water, and basically be taken care of until such time as a job presented itself for them, right. and then they could, you know, 
be a part of society and move out of the district and, you know, someone else. Kind of the way, I think it was kind of like a, a commentary on how, like, the welfare system was supposed to work. Right. You know, you have people who are otherwise able to work but can't. So here is the government giving you assistance until such time as a job becomes available. Then you get off of welfare right. and make room for someone else to right. be on welfare and you move on. Right. Also, we're seeing here, like, the commentary on the welfare system, depending, doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on on that, a lot of people will agree that the welfare system in our country is broken, that people exploit it, that the wrong people get the benefit of its resources and the people who really need it don't, right. and that um, there it's rampant with corruption. Like, I yeah. think everybody kind of agrees, no matter who's you're talking to, right. that that's kind of the status of that program. Right. We see this here. As well, Cisco and Bashir multiple times go to buildings in an attempt to find a place to sleep, and they're turned away everywhere they go. Right. They're told the places are full up. Cisco makes the point to say that it's entirely possible that they are telling the truth, that they are full, because these districts were also rampant with overcrowding. Right. We do see a lot of people sleeping on the streets, but there's also kind of this notion that you got to know someone to get into the building. Right. We later see Cisco and Bashir, they trade their clothes in order to gain access to a building later on. So maybe things aren't as bad um, as, as it seems, at least on that level. Um, one right. thing I did notice about that, though, when they walked in there, there was no lights. There was no electricity. Yeah. So it's just a building. Like, right. didn't seem to be too terribly different from being on the street. I mean, it yeah. was just there was no water. There was no... You had to stand in line for food and water and so forth. Nothing that was in the buildings actually seemed to work. Right. So they had to yeah, warm themselves the by a, a garbage can fire. At one yeah. Point. Yeah. It's where the yeah. Gabriel um, uh, Gabriel tries to save them because they get attacked by the same guy who later uh, captures the the people, the the helpers, mm -hmm. the the social workers. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The. You know it's. it's you could really take this episode as a chance to really discuss political philosophies on what things should be done in, in the world. And, you know, probably shouldn't do that because it's just a show. <laughs> but there are definitely moments where you're yeah. like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm a conservative. And the conservative angle on things is usually more harsh, frankly. It's a little more bootstraps, you know, grab your own bootstraps type of philosophy. And this is an episode where um, you could definitely you know, say, yeah, this is a perfect example of why the government fails at everything. Um, yeah. The government just can't fix everything. But yeah, I mean, I think everyone would agree the government has a role. And the problem I would say most people would also agree is that things are hard and the government, as much as, as hard as they might try to solve some things, there's never going to be a perfect solution, or at least there's never be a world I, I believe at least that we're, everything will be 100% solved. Right? There will always be social ills that need to be addressed, and therefore there are going to be attempts to address it, and there will be failures until there's successes. So um, that's basically Cisco's point, actually. He's, his point yeah. is that this uh, this situation is as dark as it gets, but that is what brings about the light of the fed, like the Federation and the future of, of humanity. Uh, they lose the will to care is what he says to Bashir. You know, Bashir's like, they have the technology, they have the medicine to solve these people's needs right in this very, right now, right here. They could they could solve all this. And uh, Cisco's point is it's not that they don't care, it's that they've lost the 
kind of will to care. Like they, they, they're tired, they're yeah. exhausted. Uh, they need uh, to be rejuvenated, and that's what these riots will effectively accomplish. They will cause people to care again, and that will be the spark that allows things to rise out of their situation. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's even what one of the men who they later come to, you know, temporarily befriend when Bashir, when Bashir helps his son, you know, that's what the man is saying is that, you know, the, you need to, we need to organize. We need to start speaking about what's really going on here and get ourselves to a point where we can, you know, affect real change, which is exactly what Cisco has been saying the whole time. He's like, they're at a point right now. It's it's this is the low point. This is this is where things will eventually begin to turn around. The the Bell riots shine a light on the disorganization, the disruption, the corruption, the mismanagement, all of it shines light on all of it and basically makes people pay attention to these true social and economic issues and bring about real uh, and substantive change. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean. There's even the kind of the notion that, you know, these sanctuary districts, while they're set up in this guise of protecting people, they've essentially become de facto prisons. Once you're in, you don't get out. And we see this kind of echoed through Dax as well when she's trying to find information on them and first can't. And then when they finally do realize that they're in a sanctuary district, there's like no telling where they are or how to get them out, how to get even contact to them once they're in one of those districts. Even the right. people that she's talking to, they're like, oh yeah, I hope they didn't end up there because it's just like everybody's kind of given up. Once you're once you're in the district, that's it. You're right. you're almost like you're in another country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now so now these this episode and them doing, you know, this time travel thing, I always knew it was going to be something that would eventually be retconned the way that they've done a lot of things in Star Trek. Like for example, um, world war three, world war three is something that is talked about a lot in Trek history. You know, um, in the original series, Kirk and, um, McCoy, not McCoy, I'm sorry, Kirk and Spock, um, ended up meeting with the infamous Colonel green, who was a ruthless, a genocidal leader during World War Three, which was supposed to have happened in the late 90s. Okay, so then of course we went through the 90s and there was no World War Three, right. you know. And then um, Strange New Worlds, uh, the new one of the newer Star Trek shows, did address it and kind of moved it, moved that date of World War Three, but they also didn't specify when it was. They just kind of you know moved it along somewhere that we're now we can kind of like be ambiguous about it again but we know it's supposed to be you know late 21st early 22nd century right. somewhere in there you right. know um and now that you know in this one it's really hard because they give us an exacting date august 30th 2024 we yeah. see that on the wall you right. know um now star trek picard recently um did its own bit of time traveling and did kind of retcon this a bit. It um, it takes place in Los Angeles, um, so not too far from San Francisco, obviously. And they switched over from saying sanctuary districts to sanctuary cities, and they also they also changed it to where it wasn't so much a specific area of of uh, the A town. City. 
the right. city set up that you were just kind of locked into as it was more a term for the whole city. Okay. Interesting. And now, th- and so this is actually keeping in line with how we use the term sanctuary cities now. Now, I will make the distinction that we don't do it's it's nothing like this. It's nothing like we see here in this episode where, you know, all of your needs are in theory taken care of by the city government or whatever. But the term sanctuary city was supposed to be so that it meant for people to come and live who were otherwise known as illegal immigrants. And you didn't have to worry about deportation. You would still have to work and get a job and support yourself and do all that kind of stuff. But there were no government handouts for you. They didn't have little... You don't get little cards or whatever mm. like Cisco and Bashir got right. or, or things like that when you enter into these sanctuary cities. And then it was also fitting that they they filmed these Picard episodes in uh, California because the majority of known sanctuary cities at this time are in the state of California. Right. So so yeah, I just want to make that quick distinction. This was there this was the the trek way of kind of retconning the notion from sanctuary district to sanctuary city and you know turning it a little bit to make it more in line with how um how the timeline has actually turned out how things have progressed right interesting yeah the, um i think the district idea makes a little more sense to be honest well i mean if the, if the idea is that the card was re readdressing and kind of changing why like the the nature behind the sanctuary element of what's going on, uh, then I guess it makes sense to change the name as well. Because um, what we're seeing here are definitely more like ghettos, like what we saw in World War II, where the mm-hmm. Jews were all rounded up and shoved into certain sections of a city and basically left to die on some level um, until they actually were carted off and killed, <laughs> frankly. Um, I mean, this this is is portrayed as some attempt at, as we've talked about, you know, helping people who need jobs. So we'll we'll give you an area where you have space, and then that fell apart. It it turned into a slum um, against the good intentions of the people who set up the idea of of sanctuary districts, uh, sanctuary cities. Yeah, if that's the idea that like. I guess if Star Trek is trying to say that what we know about the future is a kind of a, a, an a agglomation and it can change, like the hit past can change in Star Trek and be affected by the future. Therefore events in the past can be altered. Um, and so now they're sanctuary cities and those were because of uh, immigration issues, as opposed to in this episode um, job issues with the native population. I think it's actually an interesting, that actually brings up an interesting thing, going back to the whole question about time travel. Does that mean, because we've already addressed it, or you've already kind of brought it up, is does that mean that Star Trek's chronology is a bit fluid? That the past is really something that isn't quite as set in stone as we might say we think time is set in stone? Like I, I, like I so said earlier. I think... I've always thought that that was kind of the ultimate goal of what was going on in the in the franchise was they were trying to do this, I guess, not necessarily a, a soft reset of the timeline, but basically giving themselves more wiggle room as to where we are in our progress towards that kind of idealized Trek world, right? Okay. Because, I mean, there's always going to be conversations about, you know, where we are, how close we are, what we would need to do in order to achieve um, 
to to achieve the Federation, to achieve Starfleet, basically. Right. So to to what would it take for the world to become what it needed to be to eventually give birth to the the Federation? Right. Um, too many things have happened already that would totally disqualify us if you were sticking to a very strict interpretation of of events as they've been presented in Star Trek from the original series through all the shows that we see that are in the 24th century. Um, But then Star Trek, the franchise itself has gone back and softly reworked certain things to kind of open it up a bit. Because I used to make the joke all the time that we would never achieve it because we were the mirror universe. That, that that's why we would never <laughs> achieve the Federation. We've done too many bad things so that now we're actually we're the Terran Empire. We're the we're the foundation of the ah. Terran Empire, not not um Starfleet. <laughs> so uh, but then they've gone back and they've kinda like again with, with Picard, with Strange New Worlds, even with some, you know, later work of of like um uh Voyager. And Enterprise, like gosh, I almost forgot Enterprise. Can't believe that. Um, but all of those shows have softly kind of interjected these moments where it's clear that there are other agencies at work, and there are other things that are going on. So it's kind of given us this potential that we could still go either way. Right. And um, that's that's a lot to kind of get into. And there's a like a lot of different episodes that we could talk about that do that. Um, but um, I think the most compelling one would be if you watch the show Enterprise and they talk about this whole thing of involving what's called the temporal cold war and the constant fluctuation of the timeline always being adjusted here and there, whatever, to make sure that the Federation does occur. Right. So since we don't know exactly when all that stuff is happening, it's hard for us to really say, nope, it's never going to happen for us because <laughs> there's this other thing that's going on that is in theory, is making us stay in line with the eventual rise of the Federation. Gotcha. So okay. There. Well, you know, I, as we talk about that, actually the real interesting thing, which is kind of a back burner question, is Q. I mean, the whole point of Q appearing in uh, the very first episode of TNG, he questions the this time period, effectively. I think it's the like right after what we just saw, you know, that first episode, he dresses up as a judge on that weird judge seat the that post- moves around. And after world war three and the post atomic horror is what Picard calls it. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the courtroom that they used to have during that time period. Right. Yeah. His whole point in those, that two part opening episode for TNG was, you know, is humanity moved beyond its terrible history. Is it truly evolved on, on, a, on like a moral level? Uh, societal level and yes. uh this is a a chance for us to go back and really truly examine some of what that looked like because i don't think i mean i know tng had at least the one episode where we're back in time and you know date uh data's head got left behind and gets mm-hmm. left in a cave for like a couple hundred years before he finally gets to reattach it um which i have to say I think that falls more. I mean, I don't remember all the details of that episode, but it falls definitely more in line with my version of time travel. Yeah, the, where... the self fulfillment time traveler. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So the um, the idea that um, what was I saying? 
I lost track of my thought. Um, well, that t- you're talking about with Q. Oh yes, and yeah. Had had he because he summoned Picard there to answer the charges of being a grievously savage race. Right. Was humanity had humanity progressed beyond that point, and he was using that backdrop of the courtroom and those those terrible looking people that were in the courtroom right. as kind of the backdrop to say, you know, you guys are, you're standing here before me on the, in your new uniforms and all your, your makeup and gimmicks and everything else. But really how far removed are you from this lot of people that I've summoned right here today? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this, uh, this gives us a chance to really look into that. Um, I have to say while on this point, the idea of going back in time and examining Earth's history is interesting, but my initial reaction to when that happened was I was actually sad that we aren't going to see the Federation on Earth and how that looks. Like, I don't think we've actually been back to Earth and seen the Federation since season one of TNG, where that parasite yeah. thing was inside one of the, like, it's the, like the most bizarre dark episode in all of TNG, where the that guys is... are all being possessed by parasites, alien parasites. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't been back to Earth since, uh, so I was actually excited to see that, and then it it went this route instead. So, yeah, you know they do that a lot. Like it's it's one of those weird things of why don't they ever go back to Earth? I've wondered that a lot myself. Like it's just you just don't see it that often, right. and I don't know if it's what the what the deal is with that. Um, I know Voyager does some kind of some flashback stuff a few times and then they do have a couple episodes where you know there's someone on earth who's helping them in the delta quadrant and whatever else so we get to see little bits and pieces but for the most part it stays spaceborne so I, you know i don't know why that is i don't and there's so many other sci-fi shows that do that that keep you away from like known locations and i don't know if it's just because it's like so expensive to film there or what, but it almost makes the show seem less real. Like I, I, I don't say less realistic. I understand it's a sci-fi show, but I'm saying like you're, you're trying to ground your series. So why not go to earth? Why don't we ever see them in Los Angeles or Washington DC or wherever? Like those places exist. Like we know that they exist. So I don't know why that's never a thing. Right, but yeah, so I'm right there with you. Yeah, we, we as much as they talk about Starfleet and Starfleet headquarters and so forth, I think it's popped up maybe you know four or five times tops. Right in in any of the in all of the series. Like if I think about it, yeah, I think that Starfleet has been featured like actual legitimate Starfleet. I'm gonna say five times. I'm gonna cap it at five. Yeah. If anybody wants to prove me wrong. I, I will gladly, you know, you know, listen to that. But I think that it's it's five. Well, I I definitely feel like the new Star Trek movies, the new timeline ones. Like, I mean, the first one is set at the Academy. We've seen the yeah, Academy. That that's why I said TV shows. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Cause, yeah, because TNG did have had like Wesley Crusher. But that wasn't like headquarters. That, that was wasn't headquarters, academy. right? Yeah. That was. But now he does end up at no. Yeah, he he's at Starfleet Academy when he gets on when he's put on trial with Locarno yes. and all the rest of them, right? Right. So yes. So then there's at least two times in in Next Gen then that they go back to Earth. Right. Um, Voyager. Voyager does it, I think, 
once where it's legitimately Earth. And they're back. Not a flashback, not a someone's daydream or whatever, but the episode features Yeah. Right. I think it's only I think it's only once. Um Enterprise Enterprise does it twice. They do it in the beginning and the end. So that's five right there. And then Deep Space Nine, we get it today. So that's, no, did we see it today? No, because they tried to see it down and they're immediately. That's right. That's right. They didn't there. Um, But mild spoiler. So that, then this beats my rule then because mild spoiler, I think that Deep Space Nine does it three times. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So well, I mean, we still have we part two see. of this episode to go through. So, yeah, but it's, it's don't ruin anything again, yet. But I mean, they could literally do it next episode. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm going to ruin that for you. No, they don't. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but they do do it later, and we get to see some other stuff. So. Good. Okay. Yeah, but I think they do it three times. Got it. I think it's three times. So yeah. So yeah. eight, but no more than that. <laughs> that I can that I can recall at this point. No more than that. So, gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, I think that is a great kind of segue into the one thing I want to talk about, which you briefly mentioned. Um, they are in contact with the Federation about what happened, you know, these particles. And my goodness, O'Brien is given the most techno babbly babble I've ever babbled. Uh, is it not? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I wanted even listening to it, I was just like, who wrote that? Yeah. Like, I seriously wanted to pause the episode and just kind of be like, I want to know right. who wrote that bit of dialogue. And I yes. remember it. I want to know how um, he memorized it. That's what I want to know. How did he sit you know, down with a script and go, okay, gamma quant particles that were passed through by a singular... <laughs> so, so that's one thing that, you know, you look it up. It's called Treknobabble, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All the actors have talked about it, and they've talked about how just you know, some of them love how complicated and nuanced it is. A lot of them hate it, right? And a lot of them don't remember it later. It's like they did the scene, and then that was it. It was like once we were done filming it, it was gone from my head. Um, right. Uh, Cole Meany, the uh, the man who plays O'Brien, he has stated several times, yeah, he, he can't he can't remember a word of it. There's just so many times he's had to say so many technical whatever's that he's just completely lost it right and i don't blame him and it's true he had to say some of the most complicated convoluted lines ever right and um so what he says here is the problem because we see that there was an energy spike when they tried to beam down and he corrected for it or so he thought Right. And so then what we find out, we find a lot of things here. So one, we find out that the cloaking device um, somehow generates chroniton particles, which chronotons is always going to be your your buzzword, your keyword for anything involving time in Star Trek. If someone says chronotons, you know time travel or something is going to happen. Chronotons. Right? So chronology, chronotons. Yes. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then your other one, your other big one that they didn't say in this one, but uh, trust me, it's there, is tachyons. You throw those two together and you've got <laughs> time, time and travel space, magic. baby. <laughs> yes. So, from what we know is that the, 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 um, 
cloaking device generates chroniton particles, and the chroniton particles stick to the ship somehow. Now, typically, these are purged, and they don't normally cause a problem, but for whatever reason, that didn't happen this time. Then, we're later told that, base, that at some point, a micro-singularity, so a mini black hole, was passing through the system at just the right time that the Defiant was coming through the system. This micro-singularity somehow charged those chroniton particles at the precise moment that the transporter beam was initiated. Right. The transporter beam passed through the, the charged particles, and that was the energy spike that was recorded, was right. that charge of energy there. And because they had this charge, and because there was the beam down, it shifted them in time. Now, O'Brien says a bunch of other things that go along with that, but that's essentially right. the the breakdown of what happened. And yes, I I watched that scene and I was just like, what? <laughs> like, they just, have there's to, just so much. <laughs> yeah, like they have to do it to make the scene believable. Like, I get it, but it definitely, especially at the very end when like, oh no, all of Starfleet has disappeared. We must have been caught in a bubble like the bubble somehow so, something or yeah. other. So basically on that part it was the warp field of the Defiant was also so charged by this pass by microsingularity, which apparently these things can do anything. And so the microsingularity forms like this the mixing of the energies forms a bubble around the Defiant and protects it from the changes in the timeline that are observed later on. That's why everybody on the Defiant and, well, and the Defiant itself didn't disappear. They were protected by the same charged energy that caused the situation in the first place. Right. Yeah, I, I felt like it was just like a, right, Brian doesn't have to look at a reading and he's just like, oh, we must have been caught in a bubble. It's like... Okay, okay. Yeah, he just, yeah, that's right. He doesn't he doesn't have anything to back it up. He just says it. He's like, Well, yeah. I guess yeah. well, wait a second, you gave me a very technical reason for that transporter nonsense. And right. now you're just gonna be like, Well, I assume that no, no, no. Yeah. Break it down for me. That's how I felt. I was like, All right, O'Brien, yeah. you got it figured out within literally ten seconds after it occurred, or at least have a plausible solution or explanation, like, okay, we got a two parter here, we gotta move on. And I going back to the two parter thing, that actually means that this episode, you know, it, there's a second part. That means that there's, like, uh, I can't give a full review almost even of this episode because, in part, I haven't seen the whole thing. Uh, I know that's always been true of two-parters, but um, I feel like that's definitely true here. This one really is left on a cliffhanger. Like, I even feel like the yeah. Maquis two-part episodes didn't have quite the same cliffhanger as, like, this one has, where, like, you know, Cisco is literally put himself in a position like if we know that the bell guy is supposed to die in the in the riots and cisco is taking on the identity and actually if the original story the original time chronology is that actually cisco did in the original version of history take on this guy's identity and it's always been how it happened it's just that cisco didn't know the full truth Part of me is like happy with the idea that oh yeah we actually are fulfilling history according to my preferred way of telling stories uh, time travel stories um, so that part of me is a little happy with that but with all the other events that happen on the Defiant I know that that's not technically how the show is is uh, explaining what's going on eh whatever well, is we what it is. 
So yeah, we haven't gotten there. Haven't gotten there yet. So we yeah. still have to get to you know part two of this episode right. and going into um, how Cisco is going to fulfill the role of Gabriel Bell because yeah, as he exactly. he said this early on, you know Gabriel Bell dies. That's that's the known part of history. Gabriel Bell dies in these riots, but his death is the spark that you know ignites that you know flame of change to continue the metaphor right um so now that he stepped into that role we know that cisco must die so knowing that already going in here we're just like okay how are they going to how are they going to fix this right you know so that's the next part you're right i feel like this is a great setup truly for a two-parter i think that this was executed better than some of the other two-parters that we've seen so far um heck it's the first one that we've seen that I feel like when you saw the to be continued part, you were kind of just like, oh man, I can't believe it's actually going to be a, a two part. Or some of the other ones, right. you're like, really? Yeah. Like, just tell me, tell me the rest. Right. Or just, just there's no need for it. Yeah. Um, like using the, using the Maquis episodes as a, as a comparison, because that was about this time last season, I would say. Um, yeah. That was an episode that ended with Cisco and Kira and, I, and someone else. And Bashir. And Bashir. Bashir. They got shot down by to the planet. Well, they didn't get shot. They were surrounded by the Maquis, and then the his friend steps out and reveals that he's also part of the Maquis. Um, not a, he's giving up his Cal. federation. Cal, yeah, he's giving up his federation identity. So it's not an episode with the cliffhanger of like, oh, someone's gonna die per se, like, or like or, you know, Cisco's stepping into danger in that sense. It's more of a cliffhanger of like, oh, we have had a reveal, a twist has come come been revealed to us, and now if we want to find out more, we have to come back. Um, this one's like, I gotta know, like, is Cisco gonna survive? Because he told us that, you know, this guy he's pretending to be is gonna die. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it, yeah, it, as a two-parter, this one has a, cl- a better cliffhanger, uh, whereas the Maquis episodes were more, I mean, I like, I, I like the idea of two-part storytelling. It, it, it leaves more room to tell stories oh, yeah. in general, just, I mean, any story that has chronology to it where things continue on is always a lot of fun. So. Well, I, I I like two parters, but I, again, they have to be done well. Like, I don't want to move into part two and feel like there is a bit of rehashing of part one before they get back into the storytelling again. Right. I hate yeah. it. I hate that. Like, don't back up four steps to tell me. I already watched that. I already know that. I have a great memory. I don't need you to you know do that. I like. I hate it to the point where even when I'm watching episodes of other shows and they say and the episode starts and it's like previously on. It's like I, I don't need you to tell me previously. I watched it. Right. Like I. What is that? Just go into the episode. You've now wasted my time. Right. It's a pet peeve of mine that I've had for just about every show. Well, that's what's that so does great that. about modern. You know, like Netflix and stuff, because you can usually skip recaps and you know hit that button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, actually, sometimes I've always hated it. <laughs> always well, I, hate it. I usually like because I like predicting stories. Sometimes I like watching the recap because they usually will like make sure you remember this particular little detail, and usually that little detail is is very important for what's going to happen. It's the mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun. Oh yeah, don't forget the gun in the in the middle of the stage. Oh, it's gonna go off by the end of the last act. So if they make a point of showing you Chekhov's gun, it's like, oh, okay, I can I can know that that's important. So you you know what show was absolutely terrible with that? Twenty four. <laughs> no, um, Battlestar Galactica, because one every episode started with somebody saying 
previously on Battlestar Galactica. That's true. And then they would and then they would give you this like segment, and I swear, eighty percent of those things had absolutely nothing to do with whatever happened previously. Like it it was not it was definitely not the previous episode. It could be things they were they were callbacks from several episodes That's ago. That's exactly what from, I'm getting at. From, yeah. Yeah, like that used to drive me insane yeah. about that show because it was just like, yeah, I I know what happened previously. Why are you telling me this? And then it was, and then there'd be this little bit there would be a callback to something that happened six months ago. Yeah. And I'm like, and then that would be the whole focus of the next episode. And I was like, wait a second, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Why did I have? To, why did I have to watch? Like, yeah, you're you're right. Like, ah. <laughs> <sighs> Just hated it so much, and now I have to watch Battlestar Galactica again at some point. So, but yeah, it just used, used to burn me up when they yeah. would do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Before well, we finish up tonight, I should yeah. ask you. It's kind of a late question. We should ask you earlier, but you are almost done with ER, right? I am. Yes, I am. Right. You yes, texted me. You're like, ah, oh, man, I just want to Wikipedia the last bit. Just be done. Like, I've, I've been watching have... for so long, watching so much yes. of it. <laughs> yes. And we were going to discuss that in our uh, uh, Fire Caves After Dark. Ah, teaser. For those of you who want to do uh, do our, um, you know, where we talk about other things beyond Duty Space Nine, also featured um, pretty much exclusively on our YouTube channel. So you can tune in for that here in just a little bit. But yeah, that is coming up for us. But final thoughts on this episode of uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think I've been able to say everything I really wanted to say. Looking forward to finding out how Cisco gets out of this one. Uh, or mm-hmm. maybe not. Maybe there's another time travel shenanigans that causes, I don't know, a doppelganger to appear. <laughs> Who knows? But um, yeah, I look forward to finding out more. Um, maybe Gabriel Bell has a twin. Yeah, there you go. Well, guys, that will be it for us on this episode of The Fire Caves. You can tune in again to The Fire Caves After Dark for all things that are not just Trek. In in particular, going to be talking about some of the new Trek stuff that has just ended and then also began um, within this last week, plus some projections for what's coming up here um, with some of the other new shows. Uh, we are going to talk ER as well. Probably also going to get to The Expanse a bit because we've both been both reading and re-watching the series and um, now that it's on my mind, I might throw some Battlestar in there for you as well. So tune in for that. And until then, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>